How much do you know about Paris Johnson Jr. and B.J. Ojolari? Here at Locked On Cardinals, we're going to do a little introspection today. You are Locked On Cardinals, your daily Arizona Cardinals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Cardinals Alex Clancy here follow me on Twitter Clancy's Corner follow the podcast at Locked on AZ Cards please go like subscribe turn the notifications on leave a comment on the YouTube channel thanks for making Locked on Cardinals your first listen each and every day free and available on all platforms every day if you don't know that term yet shame on you number one number two you're probably one of them so you should know how to define yourself as it pertains to Locked on Podcast Network and the uh, Locked on Cardinals if you listen every day or close to it you're an everyday or damn it Wear that proudly. Um, we've talked a lot about Monty Osfort and the Cardinals and how they've started to change the trajectory of the organization, Arizona Cardinals 2.0, whatever I've been spewing on about since the removal of Cliff Kingsbury and, and Steve Kime for the greater good. And looking into the draft, didn't know what was going to happen, what Monty Osfort was capable of. And what we saw very quickly was functionality and acumen as it pertains to the draft and not just burning draft picks like the aforementioned Steve Kime did for so long. The first pick, Paris Johnson Jr. We're going to dive deeper. BJ Ojolari, the second pick, the apple of my eye in the second round that the Cardinals got after trading down with Tennessee. We're going to do a little introspection in the second round with Caroline, or in the second segment with Caroline Fenton from Locked on LSU. But first, really excited to get this dude in here, Jay Stevens. Locked on Ohio State, a dude that knows a lot more about Paris Johnson and Buckeye Nation than I do. Dude, thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Alex, glad to be here. Glad to be joining you. And uh, Paris Johnson Jr. is one of my favorite Buckeyes that got drafted this year. And so I'm really happy you went to the Arizona Cardinals. I like Kyler Murray, and now Kyler has a guy that can block for him. Yeah, you know, the interesting part about this is with Ohio State is it's become wide receiver you. Mm-hmm. It's become, I mean, it was Justin Fields rolling out CJ Stroud. And when you look at the offensive line, you know, Paris Johnson's a big boy. Yeah. Seems to be it. Like from what I've heard so far and what I've watched, interviews, things like that, you critique what I think of him from afar. Um, good kid, good locker room kid, good head on his shoulders. Um, just a normal dude who plays football and who's really big and somebody who is going to be an integral part on the field and off the field, not only for performance on the field, but the locker room off the field. You're spot on. You're, you're spot on with that analysis there and your assessment of him. Um, it's a good locker room guy. I could probably say he's a great locker room guy, a leader in his position room, a leader on the offense, leader on the team. No matter what it is, you're looking at a guy that can be a leader for you and you add in him being a really good football player, being the sixth overall pick in this year's NFL draft, just goes into being a guy that is worthy and deserves to be picked really high. And I love the excitement. I love the um, way he celebrated, the emotion that he that he had when I think he said, "Yo, let's go!" When he got drafted sixth overall, yeah, he got yeah he got the phone call. But still, hearing your name called over those speakers. That means something to all of these players, Paris Johnson Jr. being one of them. But, oh, dude, you're spot on. And, uh, honestly, the more the, the deeper you dive into Johnson Jr., the player, I mean, excuse me, the person, not the player, you're going to like him more as a person, which will make you like him more as a player. 
Yeah, and the cool part about this, Jay Stevens logged on OSU joining me. Ohio State, I can't say OSU. That feels like Oregon State to me. Oh, I don't man. think, yeah, West Coast especially guys. with without the V, I'm not going to do the V. You can't. I'm not going to do it's the okay. V. I refuse to do the, the damn V here in front of Ohio State. You don't have to do it. The article is unnecessary. Except we're not going to do this. We only have 10 minutes. So <laughs> with so the Cardinals coming from DJ Humphreys drafted in 2015, the last offensive lineman Steve Kime took in the first two rounds of a draft. In, you know, and, and and that was a point of contention for a long time. DJ Humphreys, great locker room guy, great interview, swears too much. We make jokes about it like he's a good dude on the left side. And what we saw last year with the Cardinals was they punted on drafting a guy like Tyler Linderbaum in, you know, instead, and then they ended up trading for Hollywood Brown because Ronnie Hudson was on the roster. Monty Osborne wasn't going to make that mistake. So just because DJ Humphreys is here and he solidified himself as the left tackle with no guaranteed money after this season, that could quickly change. Now with Paris Johnson, what is his flexibility as it pertains to positions on the offensive line that he may be able to stop gap for until that left tackle position is open, if not this season? So there's five positions on the offensive line. Not trying to be elementary, but I'm trying to go somewhere with this. Five positions, left tackle, left guard, center, right guard, right tackle. This young man can play four or five. Now you say, Jay, he's 6'6", 315. Can he truly play four or five positions? Absolutely. I would not say that if he didn't excel at playing right guard for the Buckeyes in 2021 in a unit in an area where they had guys, they played four tackles at the offensive line. Wasn't ideal, but even Johnson Jr., him playing a different position than he's going to play in the National Football League for the bulk of his career, he played very well at that right guard position. And so I don't say that like, oh, I'm just hyping up a guy. No, he has literally done this right guard, left tackle. And he even said going into the start of the, start of the 2021 season that he does not think it'll be a hard transition for him to go from left tackle to right guard. And on the show, I talked about the hand, the hand, literally hand placement, footwork, the shoulders, the every body, like kind of like breaking down the body and saying, it's a different stance. It's a different, uh, a lot of different things are different from guard to tackle, going from left side to right side as well. And he said he could do it and it won't be hard. He made it seem like it was a pretty easy, smooth transition for him. He wasn't perfect there, but it was a pretty mm -hmm. easy transition. So logistically and re realistically, four of five positions on the offensive line are where Parrish Johnson Jr. can play in the National Football League. And that's music to every single Arizona Cardinals fan's ears and mine because flexibility on that offensive line is something that's been severely lacking with Kevin Beecham getting older, even though he was re-signed this offseason, and the inability for the interior of the offensive line over the last handful of seasons to stay healthy, having somebody with flexibility to go along with uh, to go along with the, the offensive line when they drafted out of UCLA with flexibility there on the interior, that's something that's going to position the Arizona Cardinals for the success for the future because I've said since 2019, if you don't protect Kyler Murray, ain't none of this going to work. And the ability for the Cardinals to trade back to 12, get a bug up their rear and go up and get their guy instead of waiting where he definitely would have been gone by 12 at that point. If Philly didn't take him, then Chicago would have. You know, the Cardinals are sitting here with potentially a top two or top three pick if it were any other draft. And you can't help but be happy about that. Now, I need to ask about this because there was another name of an offensive lineman that went to Ohio State University that was not drafted by the Cardinals, that was looked at a third-round pick, fourth-round pick, ended up going late to Cleveland. Jay Stevens of Locked on Buckeyes. 
what the hell happened with Luke Whipler? Like he was looked at as a guy, a third round target, a guy who the Cardinals could potentially take and partner with his buddy, Paris Johnson Jr. in an effort to build cohesion in front of Kyler Murray and take this team to the moon. Why did he drop as far as he did? I think it's positional value. If you look at a quarterback or a receiver or a left tackle or versatile tackle and or guard in Paris Johnson Jr. going defense to a edge rusher or maybe a corner, positional value there is way higher than a guy who plays center. And a guy who plays center who is a solid piece of the pie. I really think Ohio State's offensive line would not be what it was a year ago if it was not for Luke Whipler controlling things there in the middle. Mm-hmm. At the same time, at the next level, how do people view your position on offense? Really important. Draft value is not the same. And so I do think, though, him being a good player, a solid player, but not exceptional or over the top or elite at what he does, I think that's kind of why he fell. At the same time, I'll add this in there, Alex. I did not think he would fall to the seventh round of this draft. I'll double this up for you. I didn't think Stetson Bennett would get drafted before Luke Whippler in this draft. And so falling is one thing, but I go to positional value. I think Stetson Bennett got drafted higher because of the position that he plays. Also, I do think there was a record number of quarterbacks taken in this draft. I I, I know it was close to to being breaking. If it was not broken this year, I wasn't expecting that. But that also could go into why Luke Whippler fell to the seventh round to the Cleveland Browns. Buckeye fans can rejoice. He's there. He's still in Ohio. You'll be able to watch him on Sundays. You might be groaning or being upset. You might be uh, throwing things or breaking TVs because it's the Cleveland Browns, but you'll still be rooting for Buckeyes on Sunday afternoons. We don't even talk about just first-round picks here, baby. We talk about sixth-round picks that the Cardinals could have potentially drafted in the third or fourth. Luke Whipler passed on. Now a Cleveland Brown. We'll see what he looks like with the contingent of offensive linemen over there protecting Deshaun Watson and Nick Chubb. Jay Stevens, Locked on Buckeyes. Thanks so much, man. Jay Stevens Pod, check him out there. Follow him on Twitter at jstevens07 on Twitter. What's coming up at Locked on Buckeyes that people can check out? Alex, you're correct. It was a sixth-round pick for Luke Whipler, not seventh. I was uh, uh, trying to go off the dome in the memory. He That's fell. Right. He just fell pretty far. I looked it up. I hey, looked it he's up. a smart I guy. Yeah. He's a smart guy. <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter. As I get smarter on Locked on Buckeyes every day, five days a week, every Monday through Friday. Uh, doing some draft recap stuff with people from the Locked on NFL family like Alex here. But also, big month of June's coming up for the Buckeye recruiting. Everybody in college football will be hosting official visits, and we'll be having it all the information you need to know about Buckeye recruiting at Locked on Buckeyes. And every now and then we'll invite John Garcia Jr., Locked on's football recruiting insider, onto the show for him to bring his expertise about recruiting to Locked on Buckeyes. Locked on Buckeyes every day, five days a week. The everydayers love it. If you're not an everydayer yet, you can join the club right now. Damn it. See, I had something at the end just for impact. Go be an everydayer for Locked on Buckeyes. Alex Clancy, Locked on Cardinals. Caroline Fenton, Locked on LSU to talk BJ Ojolari next as we roll on Locked on Cardinals. First, FanDuel, FanDuel, FanDuel. This episode of Locked on Cardinals is brought to you by the aforementioned thrice FanDuel. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's 1000 bucks back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. There's no better place to bet on all the playoff action than America's number one sports. If you're a Suns fan, go commiserate. You want to hedge your bet? Bet on Denver so you win either way. 
Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. Second segment, Locked On Cardinals, your team every day. Jay Stevens from Locked On Buckeyes joined me last segment to talk Paris Johnson Jr. Got a little, you know, insight into what makes the kid tick, how important he's going to be not only on the field for the Cardinals protecting Kyler Murray, but in the locker room as this Arizona Cardinals 2.0 hopeful trajectory takes place in front of our very eyes. The Cardinals did something, and and this, if you've listened to this podcast ever, um, you will not hear me say this a lot up until this point. The Cardinals nailed their second round pick. And after trading back, my target for them, I thought would have dwindled and fallen out of their hands. But luckily the cards fell and BJ Ojolari was drafted by the Arizona Cardinals with the 41st overall pick after they traded back with Tennessee, who took Will Levis with their second round pick. Joining me now is someone who knows a whole hell of a lot more about LSU football and B.J. Ojolari that I do. Caroline Fenn, host of Locked On LSU, host of Caroline Willie and D-Mace on 1025 The Game, joins me. Thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, happy to be on here. And so I do radio in Nashville, so you're talking about the Will Levis trade, talking about B.J. Ojolari. You're, you know, you're checking all my boxes. Now, really quick, because I host Locked On NFL Thursday with Tyler Rowland of Locked On Titans. He's not the hugest fan of the move, like, What's the pulse? And I'm just going to send this clip to cut to Tyler. What's yeah. the pulse in Nashville and, you know, around, you know, Derek Mason, obviously who played with Tennessee, like what's the pulse in the building out there? Amongst fans, they are ready to sell their season tickets and burn <laughs> the organization down for drafting Will Levis. And I think part of it is because, you know, Nashville, it's a SEC melting pot and there's so many Tennessee fans and they probably saw firsthand Will Levis throw three interceptions against Tennessee when he played them this past season. So I think that's part of it is like the anti-Kentucky kind of feeling, the fact that he didn't have a very good season this past year, and the fact that the Titans wanted C.J. Stroud, and they just mm -hmm. got outbid by the Houston Texans, honestly. So that's kind of – it's uh, the entire fan base is irate about it. I don't think it's a bad move. I'm going to let him do – what he's going to do on the field and let him decide for me if it was a bad pick or not. But everyone outside of Nashville is like, wow, what a steal. What a great pick. Everyone in Nashville is like fire the general manager <laughs> after his first three months on the job. Now, someone who used to be part of the Tennessee Titans organization, I don't know if you know this, is the general manager of the Arizona Cardinals now. Lonnie Austin and it's a fantastic. And I know that you knew that, but it's like <laughs> coming from going from Steve Kime to functionality rational thought actual draft acumen is what we experienced over the 72 hour span in, la in you know in last week's draft and bj ojalari fell into the cardinals lap after they accumulated a third round pick which pretty much took the place of the tampering whoopsie doozy uh that they did with the tampering of jonathan gannon so tell me what the card i mean listen i just make up words on this podcast <laughs> tell me who bj ojalari is as a player as a person and what he's going to add at the nfl level when you asked me, hey, can you come on, talk about B.J. Ojolari for a couple of minutes? I was like, I can talk about B.J. Ojolari for hours yes, because that's just what kind of a, a person and a player he is. I'll talk on the field first, then we'll get into off the field stuff. On the field, B.J. Ojolari is an absolute wrecker. I would say that he is a better pass blocker 
and he's a better pass rusher than he is a run stopper. And I think that was really kind of the biggest knock on him that really separated him from, you know, a certified first rounder to being kind of on the cusp of a first, second round grade was how he kind of struggles stopping the run at times. He's not as consistent as a run stopper, but at the next level, he's not going to be faced with as heavy as a run as he has in the SEC, just given the nature of the NFL, it being such a passing league. Right. So I think that kind of fits B.J. Ojolari's skill set. And he's very versatile as well. He's played Jack at LSU. He's an incredibly Jack, you know, edge rusher specialist. But you can plug him in at defensive end. You can plug him in and play linebacker. He can drop back into coverage if you need him to do that. So he's an incredible defensive lineman versatile player but I think sometimes whenever I hear that a red flag pops up for me because you're a jack of all trades but a master of none I think that B.J. Jalari is kind of that unique player that he is a master of just a few different things so you're getting a really versatile tough just you know he's a gamer absolutely then the kind of person he has as good of a player B.J. Jalari is I would argue that he's an even better person so at LSU, there's two numbers that mean something. The first one is number seven, and that goes to the best player, period. Tyron Matthew wore number seven. Leonard Fournette wore number seven. Um, so just the best player on the field. Number 18 goes to that guy who's just as good on the field as he is in the locker room. He is a leader. He personifies the values and the traits and the pillars of LSU football. It goes to the guy that loves the team, that loves LSU. Basically, like the the moral leader of the team, that guy that if you're down 14 at half, he's going to come in, get the whole team rallied around him. And B. Joe Jalari wore number 18. And he is exactly the kind of player. He is your prototypical number 18. It's not necessarily the best player on the field, but it goes to the guy that you look at and you say, that is LSU football personified. And I think also, you know, his older brother, Aziz Ojolari, mm-hmm. he was drafted in the second round of the 2021 draft. I think that also lends to B.J. Ojolari's readiness to play in the NFL because physically, I think that he is ready. He's played in two different defensive systems at LSU, so he can pick up on those things quickly as he transcended from the Orgeron to the Brian Kelly era. But also with his older brother, Aziz, he's been in the league for two years. He knows what it's like to be a rookie and the expectations and what you need to do at the next level. So I think that does help and should ease maybe some of those concerns about the, the learning curve from college to the NFL. That He has a confidant and a counselor and his older brother that's been through it only a couple of years earlier. If you ever come into your life where you have to take an in-depth test on BJ Ojolari, this is rewindable because you're just, <laughs> you've got every single thing you possibly could need. I'm a BJ Ojolari red. That's fantastic. Caroline Fenton, and I do want to mention, yeah. there are people that I look up to, and those are those who don't have to put a number at their end of their name with their Twitter handle. You were so close. Is there one Caroline Fenton? Like, what the hell are we doing here? Like, it's so close. It is so close. And there is one, it's at Caroline Fenton. And I have tried to DM her, I'm assuming it's a her, several times. Because she has not been on active on Twitter in like 10 years. The t- account is still there. And so many times I'm like, I will Venmo you for <laughs> at Caroline Fenton. Please, like, I, like if this is such a big part of my job and the one just ruins it aesthetically. Please give me the account. Have not heard back from at Caroline Fenton yet, but one of these days. Come on, Elon, make it happen. Oh, yeah, sorry, please, that was just a little Elon. aside. Little aside. <laughs> I mean, and that's fantastic. The thing where anybody that listened, who's been a Cardinals fan for the last couple of years, especially uh, since you know 2020 when Isaiah Simmons was drafted, it was kind of a 
body clench thing that you just said where it's a jack of all trade master of none because when you look at Isaiah Simmons although he played in the ACC where they played against high school teams pretty much when he was there and Isaiah Simmons was an absolute Adonis in college yeah. and he didn't really have a position wasn't great pass rusher played safety even though he's massive things like that and the Cardinals mm-hmm. have struggled where to position him and hopefully with Jonathan Gannon and Nick Rallis coming in their scheme is 4-3 base but uh, Jonathan Gannon said in his introduction press conference that they don't really have a scheme. They're going to figure out what skill set their players have and scheme against whatever offensive whatever offensive sets they're going to play in a given week. So give me and give Cardinals fans something to placate their nerves as it pertains to master of none and jack of all trades. Like, what is he excellent at? Getting to the quarterback. I mean, that, that could be your defensive scheme is, hey, you know, here we're going to do run a 4-3 and your DBs are doing all this. BJ get to the quarterback and that's Mm -hmm. what he can do best. And one thing that I will say about BJ Ojolari, if you look at his stats, you know, if you're just like a a box score warrior, you're not going to be wowed. It's not going to jump off the page at you. I think he had five and a half sacks, maybe this year, seven this past season, good season, but it doesn't look like an outstanding elite season. It's not Will Anderson. But what I will say about BJ Ojolari is his presence is felt on the football field even if it's not seen in the box score. He's not going to be that guy that necessarily gets three sacks a game, but he's going to be able to be that guy that gets pressure on the quarterback or the quarterback might be forced to throw earlier than the quarterback is expecting and then it's potentially picked off. Like That's kind of the impact that B.J. Ojolari plays. So while he can fill in in several different positions, what he's best at is the most important thing, and that is getting to the quarterback, getting pressure on the offensive line, getting pressure on the quarterback, and allowing the rest of the defensive line to do their thing. B.J. Ojolari is totally fine putting in some of the dirty work and not getting all of the glory for it because his presence is felt on the defensive line, even if it doesn't show up as a sack or as a tackle. There you go. That's exactly what everybody wanted to hear. And I think we saw, like, you know, I've watched film on him and I've watched games and stuff, but with the offense being as it was in LSU, like, it's so interesting. And I'll get you out of here on this. Like, how can you quantify or qualify 2019's LSU defense with that offense on the other side? How can you, like, there's things like that, that with the offense with Jaden Daniels, it's a little bit different. It's bleeping different. You know, with Brian Kelly and what they did this year, maybe be, may have been Brian Kelly's best coaching job in the history of his job with them rising up the ranks. Now, their offense wasn't as potent as it used to be. So that would lend more to believe that what we saw on the defensive side of the ball from LSU was more translatable to the next level. Is that accurate? I would say that's fairly accurate. I look at the history of LSU football and what traditionally this team wants to do and how they win. 2019 is the exception and not the rule for so many different reasons. Yeah. But also because that was an offensive firepower team. I mean, that was spread out offense. They could put up 50, 60 points a game. Mm -hmm. That defense was really good. There was so much talent on that defense. But the strength of that team wasn't the defense, and it wasn't even close. Normally, traditionally, in the past, and the Brian Kelly era is a little bit different, but in the past, LSU has won so many games and has been so competitive because they run the heck out of the football Mm -hmm. and they play damn good defense. I mean, look at some of the LSU quarterbacks of the past. You know, you've got you know, Jamarcus Russell and Danny Etling and some names that you're probably like, who the heck is that? Because that's just, it hasn't been, you know, how LSU has won games in the past. That 2019 team 
offensively was just lights out defensively was solid and did exactly what they needed to do so the offense could shine but also B. Joe's water was not on that 2019 team right he came in in 2020 which is another testament to his character that he could have left when it was an absolute dumpster fire and he decided to stick it out caroline fenton 1025 in nashville locked on lsu thank you so much thank really you appreciate it. it you got it all man i'm gonna break down everything that Mr. Steven said, the Caroline said next as we roll on Locked on Cardinals wrapping up. A Wednesday edition, Locked on Cardinals, your team. Final segment, Locked on Cardinals, Alex Clancy here. Great stuff from Jay Stevens of Locked on Buckeyes and Caroline Fenton of Locked on LSU. If you want the in the internal look at the two first picks the Arizona Cardinals made in the 2023 NFL draft, you got them. Two high-character guys, two team-first guys, and two extremely talented guys at their given position. What Jay said about Paris Johnson and how much he's going to add to the locker room on top of on the field, it's just, it's music to my ears. It should be music to your ears. It should be music to the organization's ears because the Cardinals need as many guys like that as possible. Not to say the guys on the roster aren't like that now, but when you're building a new unit and you're building a new culture and a new ecosystem, Having young guys who already have that skill set, whether it be in the locker room or on the field, it's going to be massive, especially if you want to build long and lasting success and long and lasting cohesion as a team and as an organization. With BJ Ojolari, what Caroline was talking about, how he's a master, you know, a, a jack of all trades, but pretty much a master of good, not a master of none. And she said, and I wanted to clarify because I heard a lot of Isaiah Simmons and what she was talking about, even though they're not exactly the same player by any stretch. And when she talked about BJ's ability to get after the quarterback, that's massive. That is a huge glaring need the Arizona Cardinals have. And when you look at pass protection from Paris Johnson and getting after the quarterback with BJ Ojolari, those those check two of the massive boxes that the Cardinals have had issues with for the last couple of years. Now, I know two years ago, there were great sack numbers, uh, but, you know, last year wasn't good. And when you look as a whole at what the Cardinals did through the draft, it's good. And sure, they have holes to fill and things like that still because it's a longer process than just one offseason. But when you look at the boxes checked, especially because the Cardinals picked three picks lower in the first round and nine picks lower or eight picks lower in the second round and still got two guys. They're going to be massive impacts on this roster. That is why the first day and first two days were masterclasses by Monty Osborne. Now, all of this is obviously based on projection. It's based on college performance, fit, you know, staying healthy, coaching, things like that. But the Cardinals have positioned themselves in a way with much more positive trajectory for the future than for the last couple seasons. And I don't think it's close, especially with young talent. It wasn't like, oh, you know what? He's a good player. Let's see if he fits. He's a good player. Let's find a spot for him. There's a spot for both of these young gentlemen on the roster and the position that the Cardinals desperately need filled. And if they can fill it at the uh, during their rookie season or halfway through their rookie season and on in perpetuity, it is going to change the trajectory of the Arizona Cardinals in the pass rush and pass protection position. And we just heard from two people who know much more about these two gentlemen than I do at this point. But the Cardinals are set up for massive success. If any, if the, if college and up until this point with them growing as men is any indicator of what they're going to be moving forward. 
Alex Clancy, Locked On Cardinals. I'll talk to you tomorrow.